0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 1. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name's Mark, and I'm one of the ministers Uh, Here at the church, we're glad you joined us for worship and hope you feel comfortable. Participate as you see fit. Uh, We started a series last week. Uh, Michael DeFazio challenged us uh, to look at the Gospel of Mark, which our series is all about, Relentless Pursuit. And our challenge is to, uh, to study the Gospel of Mark and to hear a few things. And Michael gave us some really good tactics. First of all, he told us to read it. And if you don't want to read it, listen to it. You can go online and you can get YouTube clips of someone reading dramatically the text. But open yourself up to it. And he told us to discover who Jesus is. That's the question Mark wrote toward. Who is this guy everybody's talking about 40 years later? This next generation, who, who are they talking about? He said, remember that the book is divided into two pieces. The cross and the crown. The king and the crucifixion. And if we keep that in mind, we can find out who Jesus is. Then he told us to let the story say to us what it wants to say to us, not what we want it to say. And then that was my big challenge, is not to use Mark to make a statement, but to allow the statement to be said to me. And then lastly, he told us to let Jesus surprise us. And so that's the challenge. For those of you visiting, and if you weren't even here last week, but you're a regular part of uh, Christ Church, Uh, There are some folders that have been made available for you. If you like to keep notes and you want to keep track of what you learn here and study on your own, there are some folders available to you. Uh, After the service, you can go out into the foyer or you can go to the connecting place, which is on the other side of the cafe, and they're free. Uh, So if that's of interest to you, we hope you'll take uh, one of those. And secondly, it's not too late on Wednesday nights to come be a part of what we're doing here. Uh, There is a class being taught through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's going to go more verse by verse than I'm able to do on a Sunday morning. So if you want to go deeper and study, there are other adult studies if you're interested. But if you didn't make it here because of the blizzard that was forecast for last Wednesday night, it didn't happen, praise the Lord, and you're welcome to rejoin us anyway. And if you're new here, yes, I'm sarcastic. Uh, Anyway, so here we go. Today we're going to repent. If we don't repent, we've missed the message. Repentance is not a word any of us wants to do. Repentance means I'm wrong. Repentance means I I not only made a oops, I did something on purpose and I got busted. Today's message is about repentance. I'm going to be bold enough to say this. If you walk out of here today and you're not willing or able to repent, you have not worshiped. You can't worship the almighty God and be in his presence without becoming fundamentally aware of where we're not right where my life, my choices, my attitudes are not right. Anybody who came into the presence of God fell on their face in fear. I don't want you to leave here with shame. Don't misunderstand me, but if you can't repent today, you will not have worshiped. Mark is urgent. His writing is passionate. He's got a goal. He wants us to know who Jesus is, why he came, and why it matters. He he's this is important to him. And to show you the urgency of Mark, let me point out that Mark doesn't begin like the other gospel writers do, like Matthew or Luke or John. Mark doesn't tell us about the birth of Jesus. Did you notice that when you read it? There's no story of the angels telling this virgin she's pregnant. There's no story of a confused father. There's no story of a trip to Bethlehem. There's no stable. There's no wise men. There's no donkeys. And when I bring up the comparisons to Mark and the others, I'm not diminishing that what the other gospel writers put in their gospels is unimportant. But for Mark, he's right to the point. There's there's no establishment of the ministry in Judea and Jerusalem. There's no story of meeting the woman at the well when the Gentiles found out that Jesus was the Messiah before the Jews recognized it. There's none of this. Mark just goes right into the establishment that he's here. The king is here. That's what Mark wants us to know. The rest of it is all important, but not for Mark's audience. He wants to drive through with this urgency. He's here. The king has arrived. I want to tell you three things about this. I'm not going to lie to you. My tail is wagging really, really strongly today. And I'm going to try to fit about 80 minutes of material in the next 26 minutes. So buckle up. It makes me happy, and I hope you get happy. Because what I've learned in this chapter, the outline is so simplistic And when you read the outline, you're going to go, yeah, yeah, but I want you to understand the importance of it. Chapter 1 of Mark is a delivery of who Jesus is in full force and strength. First of all, his identity is announced. That's the first thing Mark wants us to know, who he is and who told us who he was. So let's begin in verse 2. We're going to read through verse 11. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. John isn't given the same depth that the other gospel writers give him when Mark handles him. He doesn't tell us about the fact that the angels announced John's birth. That Zacharias' father had a moment of doubt and lost his voice for nine months. It doesn't tell about the promise to Zacharias. It doesn't talk about the fact that he's Jesus' cousin. Mark gives us none of those details. Mark says there was an Old Testament prophet who came and he announced, be ready, the man is coming. The Messiah is on his way. Be ready. Pay attention. And this is what John did. Mark is just so quick with John. And I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but understand the urgency that John's story is important. But the fact that the king is here is more important. And so he paints that picture. And you know in the other gospels that there's a moment when Jesus comes over the hilltop and John's in the Jordan baptizing that when Jesus comes over the hill, do you remember the words John said? Behold the Lamb of God. John testified to who Jesus was. He pointed out to the crowd, you've all come to see me, but now the one you need to see is here, the one I've told you about, the path that I've made straight, he's here. That's the Lamb of God who will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. So John announced who he was. And then he immersed Jesus. He laid him deep in the water and he drew him out of the water and a voice broke out of heaven. Not only did John testify, but Jesus tes- or but God testified to Jesus. And his voice said, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Later, in Mark's gospel, God would not only affirm Jesus again, but God will say, listen to him. So the testimony of the Old Testament prophet John, and the testimony of God the creator of all things, who with those same words created everything, testified to who Jesus was. And then the Bible's really fascinating me what Mark does here is he says that the sky was torn, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove. Now, be careful. It doesn't say he was a dove. It said he came like a dove, and it says he descended. And the word descended can also be translated fluttered. That doesn't make any sense, right? Except for this. In the book of Genesis, it said the Holy Spirit hovered over all creation. When it was being created, same word. That the same Spirit that created the world and hovered over the world in its creation stood above Jesus Christ and anointed him and hovered. And then, can you tell I'm happy today? Can you tell I got a lot? I mean, I'm like, and look, and look, and look. I'm going to do this all morning. I am excited. I'm going to be sad when it stays over. Not only did the Spirit come and flutter and hover and empower, but it also says that the sky was torn. Very similar language to what happens. Do you remember when Jesus was crucified and the temple was torn in the curtain? Or the curtain was torn in the temple? I'll get it right. Give me four more chances and I'll be perfect. So when the curtain was torn and the sky was torn, notice the, the, the similarity here. The sky was torn and God came to earth. And the, te- the curtain was torn in the temple and man could get to God. You see what Mark's doing here? God is finishing what he started in Genesis 3. And he's here. John said he's here. God said he's here. So we know who he is. You see, in Isaiah 64:1, the Old Testament prophet said, Oh, that they would rend the heavens, tear the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Isaiah knew that this day something would happen. You see, then immediately, Mark jumps into the story. Bryce Hopkins, a friend of mine who preaches in Pittsburgh, Kansas, said this, and I love his line. He said, The account of Jesus' baptism teaches us that Jesus is the Christ. Therefore, the question no longer is whether Jesus is the Messiah, but what kind of Messiah is he? You see, the testimony that he's here is great, but what he came to do is greater. So let's go to the second thing this morning. We now know his identity. Now let's talk about how his authority is demonstrated. In verses 12 and 13, At once, Some of your translations say immediately. Uh, Michael pointed this out to us last week. Forty-two times in the Gospel of Mark, Mark uses the term at once or immediately. Same Greek term, just translated differently in the English. And 12 times in the first chapter, Mark's like, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. It's happening. The king's here. God's plan is in action. No great delays. You have to love the Gospel of Mark. There's not a sermon in it. Oh, you laugh. Thank you. That that wounds me. I'm over it, though. Okay, so there's no sermons in Mark. He doesn't have time for the blah, blah, blah. He's writing within a period of time, right after Jesus, that the next generation needs to know who he was and what he came to do. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert. Notice who sent him. I'm going to come back to this and ride that pony around the ring here in a heartbeat. The Spirit sent him out in the desert. He was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. At once, upon his coronation, God said, this is my son. And there was no palace to go to. There was no great, comfortable entourage. There was not this great celebration. Immediately, upon his baptism, the Holy Spirit told Jesus. It impelled him, compelled him. The word is, it threw him into the wilderness. So today, church... Let us be crystal clear. You won't find exception in all of Scripture. I'm that certain. That when you are called by God, don't expect to be comfortable. Expect to be made better. His own son wasn't given a coronation so he could be comfortable. His own son was given a coronation and then he was tested. And following Jesus is hard work. But it's eternal work that matters. And so he was thrown into the wilderness because God is not scared of us being tempted because for many of us it's following through and saying no to the temptation that builds our character and proves the faithfulness of God so God doesn't create temptations but God can overpower temptations with the hope of Christ so why in the wilderness well I think there's some beautiful symmetry between the Old and New Testament so let me show you what I think is there Adam was tempted in a garden, or translated, a paradise. Jesus was tempted in a wilderness. So Adam was tempted with the companionship of Eve, right there to help him. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness all alone. Adam was with the animals, and it was a good thing, yet God looked down and said he's alone. Even with the animals, there's no companion suitable for him. Jesus, according to Mark, was in the wilderness alone with what? The animals, and God left him in that state alone. There's nothing God expects of us that he did not do greater to his son, and his son proved the power. You see, Mark never tells us what the temptations were. Mark's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Now, I have to be honest with you, this book excites me. Can you tell? Because I'm an impatient person. I love my son, Braden. He gives me way too many details in every story. And my wife looks at me like, Mark. But I'm like, Braden, just tell me the point. I ask him about lunch and its condiments and how many grains of salt and who sat. And con- I'm like, what did you have, peanut butter or pizza? I'm a bad soul. But I dig this book. Because Mark is like, notice Step, 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 Jesus, king, here, starting, serious, relentless pursuit of his calling. You see, when you look at this, while he's a king, he's a suffering king. God didn't call him to be comfortable. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about Psalm 69, where Jesus sank into suffering so we could stand in security. And what we're seeing here is this played out. Jesus didn't come to be coronated and paraded around in comfort. He came to suffer. And in fact, the temptations that Matthew tells us about in Matthew chapter 4 that Mark doesn't give us, when Matthew explains what the temptations were, all of it was a temptation to make his life easier, to end his suffering. It wasn't just about being more powerful because Jesus was powerful enough. It wasn't about being awesome because Jesus is awesome. It was about end your suffering. He said, take these stones and turn them into bread. Jesus is like, no, when God feeds me, he'll feed me. He said, well, show everybody who you are. And Jesus is like, no, it's not about who I am, it's about who God is. He said, take what God has for you, take it now because you deserve it. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not going to take it now. When God gives it to me, it'll be mine. Notice what he was doing. Satan was saying, end your suffering. And Jesus said, no, I'm here to suffer. Because here's what you and I need to celebrate today. If Jesus ends his suffering in the temptations, there's no cross. And if there's no cross, there's no kingdom. And if there's no kingdom, we're toast. We are dead in our sins for eternity. So what Satan was doing in the wilderness was trying to get Jesus to give up the humiliation of his suffering, to show everybody who he was and his power. And Jesus said, I did not come to show my power. I came to show my submission. And I don't know if you've gotten it yet. That's the greatest thing you'll hear today. Because with that came hope. And now Jesus reigns eternally, as he always would have, but now he reigns with us, because he invited us in. And then it says, then the angels attended to him. That's all Mark says. He went in the wilderness for 40 days, and of course, 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness with Israel, there's another connection. And it says, and then the angels came and ministered to him. And here's what I want us to know. The ministering happens after the faithfulness, not before it. I sometimes tell God, let's get rid of the suffering and temptation. Can we just get to the good stuff where you bless me? And he's like, no, I didn't do that for Jesus. I'm not going to do that for you. Sometimes you have to go through the wilderness to understand the blessings of the palace. And so for some of us, I'm going to tell you, hold on. Remain faithful. God is good, and he will be on the other side of your obedience. And he'll be with you every step of it too. And then we know his identity, and we saw his authority to stand up, to the temptation to make his life easier. And by the word of God, he overcame Satan's distractions. Let's get then to the third thing, his plan. Why did he do what he did? Why did he come the way he came? Verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news that the kingdom is available now. I'm going gonna, gonna to give you three things. I'm going to give them to you quick, and then I'm going to try to explain them. First one is this. There is a simplicity to the good news of the kingdom that's easy to explain. First thing. The good news of the kingdom is easy to explain. Second thing. It'll take a lifetime to understand it. Third thing. It only takes a minute to trust it. Let me start over. The kingdom is easy to explain, hard to comprehend, and only takes a minute to trust. I want to speak to you that are more of the rational sort, the thinkers. The ones who have heard the gospel presented, you've read the scripture, you've attended church for years, but you're you're still researching, you're still developing, you're still answering questions, you're still seeking. There is nothing wrong with that. But you can be a disciple when all you know is who Jesus Christ is. And those of you that want all the answers and all the bookmarks and all the apologetic answers, there's nothing wrong with pursuing that, but I want you to notice the model in the New Testament. Jesus said, follow me, and he started walking. And those that said, hey, no, hang on a second, I want to discuss this for the next 34 years, he kept walking. If you want to know who Jesus is, go where he's going, quit asking him to stay where you are. That's what it means to follow. And what I find funny is nobody asked him where he's going. They just went. You see, there's a simplicity that's easy to explain, takes a lifetime to comprehend, and only takes a moment to become a part of. So Jesus offers us a place in his kingdom right now. That's the good news. The kingdom. You know the word gospel wasn't owned by the church? We didn't create it. It's actually a power word. It's a military word. Gospel meant good news. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first got a smartphone, when I went from the flip phone days to the smartphone, I got really happy because I saw all the cool things it would do. One of the things I noticed is I could go to ESPN and they would send me a breaking news text. I wouldn't have to hear it from any of you. I would get it before you did. And it would go dun 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 and I'd look at my phone and I would know more than you did instantly, and I was ready for this. Until I started getting them. LeBron James got a haircut. Who cares? That's not breaking news. Or a show's coming on at 8 o'clock, you need to watch it. Oh, no, no. Delete, delete, and subscription. Because what we call news today isn't news. The news that the gospel word meant was that a victory had been won. A herald would come back from the field and say there was a great battle fought for your freedom and we won the war and you are no longer slaves, you are free men and women. That was good news. That was life-altering, change your reality now. It wasn't that some celebrity whatever. So the good news of the kingdom is Jesus fought our enemy. He destroyed all of his weapons. He has taken him captive to his power and because of that we are no longer slaves we have been set free that's the gospel it's not about fixing your desires it's not about fixing culture it's not about touching your hot buttons to make you think provocative thoughts it's none of that it's that you were once a slave to sin you no longer have to be a slave to sin you are freed by christ and you have the power to overcome that's the gospel message in jesus christ that's why he came, to preach that message. John talks about it. Matthew talks about it. Mark talks about it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is available now. And what's beautiful about that is theologians confuse us. But there's a beauty to it. It's now, but not yet. What? Is the kingdom real or not? No, it is. It's here. When Jesus came, he established a kingdom. He stood up and said, I'm here, let's start a kingdom. A king is here. But... It's not full yet. It's like inheritance, if I can cheapen it that, to that low denominator. It's like an inheritance. I know my mom and dad have worked their entire lives. They have possessions. They have made some money. They own some property. And none of us will ever get rich because my folks aren't rich. But when they pass, all that they have prepared for their lives and used to take care of themselves and others will be divided amongst their four sons So I know I have an inheritance. In fact, I have it right now. I just haven't received it yet. And the kingdom of heaven is promised to those who follow the king. And although we know it's ours at our disposal, it's not been fully given to us yet until that day Jesus returns. But for many of us, that's not good enough. Deep down inside, we struggle with that. I want it now. I want him to prove the full kingdom now before I believe in it. Nope, you just need to follow him. Because it's here. And he's building it with you and I. I like to say, if I, if I may quote myself, which is really arrogant, you know, a preacher once said, but anyway, <laughs> I don't think the kingdom is just possible, it's proven. The resurrection is the reason I believe that even though I don't understand all the kingdom Christ is building, I have no doubt in my mind he's able to build everything he said he would. Walking out of that grave changed everything. And so, because of that, he came to build a kingdom. And the kingdom, to enter into the kingdom, is to repent. To repent of my ways. To re- repent of my know it allism I just created a word. It's to repent of the fact that Jesus says, that's not good for you, and I argue with him. To repent is to say to Jesus, you know more about everything than I know about anything. So here we go. Hey, Mark, follow me. Yes, sir. Or no, sir. It comes down to that. You see, in verse 16, I want to show you that it's not just about you and me getting ours either. Jesus had a plan. And his plan was to come to earth and establish his kingdom. And by establishing his kingdom, he would invite all of us into it. But not all of us would take the invitation. But he still invited us all in. Look at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. I'm a little bit protective of the disciples, and here's what I mean. Sometimes the disciples are painted as a bunch of mouth-breathing, ignorant men who couldn't do anything else. That's not true. Did you notice what Mark records? Peter... And John and James were businessmen. They had nets, plural. Boats, plural. Hired men, plural. These weren't guys that didn't have anything else to do. But this teacher, this rabbi, came by and said, come follow me. And Mark's amazing. Mark said, and they did. Go figure. They just got up and left. They left their business. To follow him Now we know that they didn't leave their business like "Never went back." but they left their business to follow him to be shaped, and he said, "I will make you fishers of men." but he, he didn't say, "You are fishers of men." The Greek indicates, "I will by you following me, I will shape your life so that you will offer and herald the good news of the kingdom of heaven." And by speaking of the good news, others will follow me. This is my plan, that through these people who follow me and trust me and serve me and repent, I will build my kingdom and the word will go out. And everyone's invited, but some of our friends don't know they're invited. And some of our family members have been a part of it, canceled their plans, and they can't imagine they would be invited back. But our job is to go into all the world and tell them, you're invited into this kingdom, but there can only be one king and it's not you. It's him. He's the only one who has final authority. He's the only one who really knows what he's doing. He's going to make us fishers of men. But you have to leave the life you've chosen and follow him. And some of us get to stay exactly doing what we're doing. God's going to go, I need you right there. And for others, he's going to say, no, no, no. You're going to leave this country. But he's going to call us. He's going to follow us. And they tell us that rabbis didn't call students. Students went to the rabbis. No, no rabbi ever did what Jesus did see I would go and say to this rabbi would you teach me and he would say yes you, you leave your family and come live with me for a season and I will teach you but Jesus was opposite he had authority unlike any other teacher Jesus went and said you come with me and you come with me and you come with me and they did and those that did changed their histories and those that didn't nothing changed do you understand why Mark's in a hurry because this matters we know who he is we know the authority by which he speaks and we know that he's invited us. Not just to be a part of it, but to offer the invitation. Go into the alleys and the streets and the dark corners and invite everyone to come be a part of my kingdom. But remember, it's because the king is here and I am not the king. So there's a hope. There's an authority. There's a power. There's an identity. There's a king. So as we begin this journey, this relentless pursuit, my heart races because Mark's got me geared up. This matters. This is the real thing. Good news. There's a good news to all men on who Christ's favor rests. Jesus Christ came to build his kingdom. We can be a part of it. Some of us today, truth be told, we took the invitation into the kingdom and then we left the party. And we've gone back to a lifestyle and a way of living that does not honor Christ, and we've just walked away, I'm here to tell you, the invitation still stands. Come back to the party. Repent, repent and return, and he welcomes you. And others of us, we're waiting until we have more information and we understand it better. Remember, it takes a moment to explain it, a lifetime to understand it, and just a few moments to trust it. So I'm gonna be out in the foyer in a few minutes. Some of the elders are going to be out there with me. Some of our response team members. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, no pressure. Come see us. Because we want to tell you about the invitation that will change your future, your history, your family. changes everything. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.